0: Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity.
1: SoulVox Radio presents Evolve with your host Robin White Turtle Disney.
2: Marionettes playing out different realities within. This is sin. The separation of self from you. The lessons learned right here in this capitalistic zoo. All of your ugly is dying to show your prettier finger too. All of your history is patiently waiting to be spit anew and forget your crew. Bask in the gift of just you. See, universe birthed me just like this, unlike every organism on the earth. Called in new angels, organized my ancestors for my birth. Juxtapose marionettes playing out different realities within. I am no longer sin, bringing all of me without apology everywhere I go. Go, go, yo, 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 yo. This moment is beautiful.
1: The show this is Robin Whiteurdelisny. The show is Evolve, and my special guest today is Roberta Grimes. She's a business attorney who has an extro- had an extraordinary experience of light in her childhood, and then spent decades studying nearly two hundred years of communications from people who used to think uh, God was dead. Using this material and insights from scientific research, she has been able to assemble a detailed picture of what happens at and after death. Having majored in religion in Smith College and extensively studied the Bible, she has also learned that Jesus in the Gospels told us things about God, reality, death, and the afterlife, and the meaning and purpose of human life that we could not have confirmed until the 20th century. Roberta's books include The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, Liberating Jesus, The Fun of Growing Forever, and uh, her new book uh, is just coming out, and uh, it's called The Fun of Living Together, and that's the one we're going to be talking about today. Her weekly Seek Reality radio program has hundreds of thousands of listeners, live and by podcast at webtalkradio.net. Uh, she has a blog and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Roberta, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you. So glad to be with you. This is going to be fun. Okay. Well, we are uh, here to talk about your book, uh, The Fun of Living Together. And this is a book that really deals with race. And uh, you wrote it with your friend Kelly Glover, which I think is wonderful. Um, and uh, tell us a little bit about this book and how you came to write it together. Well,
0: Kelly and I were friends for, oh, at least a decade, we met in a, in a church where she actually still is um, the head of the choir, and I've moved on from there, but she and I became friends, she gave music lessons to my grandchildren, and we just we clicked, you know, there's some people you sort of resonate with, and so we did, and um, we, I, we talked about a million things, we never talked about race. I may surprise people because she's very dark and I'm very pale, but it never came up. I mean, who cares? Mm-hmm. However, one day I had a question, just a random question, which I wish I could remember what it was, but I don't now remember even what it was. That's how trivial it was. She started to tell me the truth. I've since come to understand that unless you are really tight with someone who has darker skin, they're not going to tell you. They're going to tell you whatever you want to hear. They're not going to tell you the truth. But She told me the truth, and that opened my eyes to such an extent that... Um, we talked more and more and more. I, I did research. I was horrified and repeatedly horrified. And finally, one day, I said, "You know, there's a." Oh, well, and I had her on Seek Reality to talk. And after that that Seek Reality conversation, I said to her, "You know, there's a book here. Um, are you game to help me write it? Because I can't write it without without someone who um, is melanin enriched." She said, "Yeah, I was born to do this." So we we wrote the book, um, and it was published. By my publisher, who, is, who publishes all my books, she's just an extraordinary, wonderful publisher. Unfortunately, not taking anyone any any more uh, people at this point, but she's just great. Anyway, and and it came out, and it's gotten a tremendous amount of interest. I'm so so pleased about
1: that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's a very timely conversation because of the stress and tension that we're dealing with uh, with the current administration. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, what, what, what this
0: book is about, why we have these racial problems to this day,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how we can heal them in one generation, and how we can make America colorblind. And oh. it won't even take a generation to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And, and, and just to answer your next question, which is, wow, you yeah, know, or if I've got you into this, but why is this another fun book? Because all your fun books are spiritual. Right. And here's the thing. When you think from fear, which is how we customarily think, you can't solve a blessed thing. You only can make it worse. Yeah. When you start, when you raise your spiritual spiritual vibration enough so everything you're thinking from is based in love, you can solve any problem.
1: Right. This is a love-based You couldn't have put it better. I think that's so true. I mean, don't you think that most of our pathology in the culture is fear-based and we're trying to convert totally. it all to love now so that we can let go of the fear? Um, but, but yes, but yeah. the only
0: way to solve those problems First, to raise our spiritual vibration and think from love in solving those problems. Yeah. I mean, it's frustrating. We're, we're here. We are coming out of out of the weekend of Charlotte of Charlottesville. Uh, that would have been such an easy problem to solve.
1: Right.
0: It's. It's. I, I blame everybody for what happened there. Everybody. Yeah. Nobody is guiltless because all of us have been thinking from fear in the past. That's why we had a civil war. I mean, it's. But we have to think freshly now, and our leader has to be Dr. King. There's nobody else who can lead us.
1: Right. He has, he has the
0: answers, and he gave them to us, and now it's time for us to follow
1: his direction, all yeah. of us. Right, right. Well, in your book you talk about uh, that slavery still exists in America's core problem. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, what is that about? Cause well, I- we have to understand
0: something important. I mean, we have a very extremely deficient public school system, which, among other things, apparently is teaching children that America invented slavery, which is, of course, a crock of nonsense.
3: Um,
0: Slavery may be the oldest human institution. It's existed everywhere on the face of the earth. At the time of the American Revolution, three-quarters of the people on earth were being held in some kind of slavery. Wow. That's just a fact. And... um, Therefore, therefore um, when we, we should have done something about slavery a whole lot sooner. Another thing most people don't, don't know, but I talk about it in the book, is that the, the most ardent abolitionist you ever knew was um, Thomas Jefferson. He would have solved the problem if his wife hadn't died, but she did, and he couldn't bear to do it without her. Seems to have been the case, but anyway, then the next person to come along for this was like something important was Dr. King. During the period when we could have solved the problem so easily in the early part of the 19th century, nobody just nobody put it first. Yeah. It was like not that important, and then suddenly it was important, right? Because it threatened the breakup of the union, and yes, that's why the Civil War was fought. Yeah. But the problem was this, because it wasn't important to anybody, nobody bothered to emancipate the slaves with the Civil War. Yes, we had abolition of slavery. You couldn't have owners, but that was not a problem at all, because what happened right after the Civil War, as soon as the North left, which was almost immediately, really, they re-enslaved the slaves. And we, we call it Jim Crow, but it was really slavery without ownership, slavery without papers. It went on in the South for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And Anybody who doesn't think that's possible that we had slavery in America in the 1960s, just read, read a read letter from Birmingham Jail. Um, Dr. King was a brilliant young man of 34. He could have he a PhD. could have done anything with his life. He was as, as much enslaved in America in 1963 as his ancestors had been in 1863. This mm-hmm. is just all facts. Mm-hmm. And the problem was that because we ne- slavery does something to the human mind, and we're all susceptible to it because all of us are descended from many, many people who were once held in slavery, and those who couldn't adapt to that condition didn't probably survive to reproduce. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so what, what happens is it does something to the mind. It allows people to, to submit without question, to submit and to live a life that is governed by other people. I mean, to a certain extent, that's how we live now in America because our government has become so oppressive. But these people were still deep in slavery mind in 1965. The second stage of American slavery ended in 1964, one year after Dr. King wrote that letter, with the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And that was the great moment when we could have ended it all. We could have completed emancipation, and we would have. We would now be living in a colorblind America. But instead, America, once immediately, in 1965, America reinstituted slavery, and this time it was economic slavery.
2: Yeah.
0: And although the federal government would tell you they were trying to help, what they really did was to tell people, still living deep in slavery mind, all across the South told all those men they had to give up their families if they couldn't support them. If you want your children to live, if you can't support them, you must give them to us. And so most of the men in the South who had brought their families through that horrible time of Jim Crow yeah. gave up their families. You should nobody should ever be asked to do anything like that. But they did. Yeah. And every, every bit of pathology in the United States today comes directly or indirectly from what, what we did to black men in, in the, the 15 years or so after 1965.
1: Now, how, I mean, did, being... how did they give up their families? Were they told they had to go somewhere else to work or... Uh, no,
0: no. They they were told if you can't support your family, you must give them to us. This is what they heard. Mm. What what really I'm not sure what they actually said the federal government, but it was sort of, you know, if you can't, if 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 women need help, we, we will we will give the money.
3: Uh-huh.
0: So, so what the, what the man hears then is if I can't support you, I have to give you to the government, and that's what they did. Mm. And. The problem was, of course, that the master-slave relationship was being upset in the South um, by the civil rights movement of the late, very end of the fifties and, and early part of the sixties, because it made, that, it infuriated, of course, the the the, the owners who weren't really owners; they were just employers. But, but for all intents and purposes, they they were they were the masters of the people who would go out and play slaves and work for them. Mm-hmm. This was grotesque that whole time, it, to know that it went on in America for most of the 20th century is something that makes your skin crawl, mm-hmm. but but what happened was that the, that the men couldn't find a job, because suddenly were, they, they no longer really felt so submissive, they were being told they were citizens, this was news to them, and and they had rights, again, news to them, so they weren't quite as submissive, and the men were, that, that had employed them were angry, and they 't find maybe work quite as easily mm-hmm. but one by two when they could not support their families they gave them to the federal government they had to move out because there couldn't be a man in the house so mm-hmm. they did oh, wow. they moved out oh, and at that point
1: they, the they had no
0: role at that point and at, at all they knew that white America wanted nothing to do with black men black men in the south if they even looked by mistake, a white woman could end up on the end of a rope. That's how. That's how badly they were treated. Right. So they didn't expect any kindness. This wasn't a kindness that they—they they, they wouldn't have recognized a kindness if it—if it came to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When they gave up their families, they gave up altogether. Most of them did, and that's why a third of them now cycle in and out of prison. We have thrown away close to three generations of African American men. Mm. with them, many African-American women, too. More than half of the people in this country descended from slavery, still live just as Thomas Jefferson feared they would live, on the edges of society, debased and hopeless. No, no realistic way of ever entering American society. And we perpetuate this in ways which, really, again, make your skin crawl. This is such a horrible history.
1: Yeah. It's it horrible. Is hor- it is a horrible it's,
0: history. Yeah. But the fact that it's been going around, on around me all my life, and I never knew... Yeah. I feel it's my fault that I didn't know. Right. How could we not, how could we not know what's going on right. when it's this bad? Right,
1: right, right. Well, and we have forms of economic slavery um, across the board in businesses and corporations all over the world. I mean, all over the country. But, um, you know, I, I see that happening. I hear that frequently even in Silicon Valley, where the salaries are quite high, you know, I don't want to be a slave to a corporation or I don't want to, you know, do this because I feel like a slave. I mean, that, that has become so engendered in our cultural but conversation. See, I hear that, I hear that,
0: and, and I feel that it's cheapening the real slaves.
1: Yeah, Because there are people in this country who have ancestors who have
0: been here going back as much as 400 years. The 400th anniversary of black child slavery in this country is two years from now. Mm-hmm. These people have and their ancestors going back four hundred years have never been emancipated. They still live as second- class, very much second-class non-citizen citizens
1: of this country mm-hmm. and
0: we are not paying attention to that fact, and we can emancipate them, and we are going to do that now
1: hmm hmm Okay.
0: And we're going to be a much healthier country when we do. Every pathology we have in America comes directly or indirectly from the way we have treated African-American men in this country.
1: Oh, I mean, I, we could spend an hour talking about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: It's, just, it's horrendous what we've done to ourselves yes. by doing this to them.
1: Yes, I I completely agree. So talk about MLK and his um, his legacy, because his his power to stand up against this uh, kind of white supremacist South that was so entrenched in the 50s and 40s. Um, you know, talk a little bit about him, because he really was the one who called it. <laughs> called it in, in the 60s. In so many ways. Yeah.
0: Martin Luther King Jr. was the greatest American of the 20th century, and many people don't even understand how, how, how great what he did really was. But he was angry. Our people are angry now, I blame them. They have every reason to be angry, and and sadly, it's 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 other people. It's not the people who most really should be angry. The people who are still living as slaves. It's 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 other people who see that and get angry. But and, you know, Dr. King was curious, mm-hmm. But he knew his anger was absolutely useless because he knew the only way to fix this and really fix it was to make America colorblind, and you can't alienate. White people and expect a colorblind country. So he never showed his anger, not directly. Instead, he turned his anger into a fire of love, and he used that love to burn down the Jim Crow South. That's how he succeeded. Mm-hmm. He did not succeed by by being enraged at people. He succeeded in in being of just a beacon and a, and a lion for righteousness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, he was a he was a minister, and, and it's just... this. His ability to do this well came from the ministry, but it really was—it was love. Love was his weapon. Yeah, the only weapon that could work.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, what changed your point of view uh, of around the battles that Martin Luther King Jr. had fought and won, and had been working toward? I mean, what changed your viewpoint uh, when you spoke? Um, to Kelly Glover and tell me a little bit about your story with her because that must have impacted you like as she began to speak truth to you um, as a friend and as a white friend. Yeah. Of course. I mean, she's upper middle class.
0: Her family is actually um, of a higher class than my family Mm
1: -hmm. is.
0: Her father has a PhD Mm -hmm. and to her, for her to be still having to live with her skin color as an issue was my first shock. When She started telling me all those stories, and then she started to talk about how um, black people live And I never, I just didn't know. I didn't know that most of them are not emancipated. And that the percentage of African Americans in this country who still live essentially on the edge of society is way over 50%. And I had no idea. Most people don't because most of of the ones that we would... there are a lot, let's just put it this way, there are a lot of celebrities who are black. Mm-hmm. And there's a burgeoning black middle class. And so we see that there's that there are some people who do well and go to college and stuff. And we see all of these entertainers and just really famous people. So we think, hey, we're booking along. Look at this. We're getting more and more integrated. Well, that's, that's not true. We're not. We're actually, we are frozen in play.
1: Mm-hmm. For,
0: for African Americans to do well in this country... They must, this is almost an inviolable rule, they must either be elite athletes or very good entertainers who also are very lucky. Those are the two routes out of slavery today. Mm -hmm. Um, It's possible to do it with um, as a minister or a politician, but most of those in those roles already are middle class. Mm -hmm. But for people to get out of the lowest class uh, is just about a miracle. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. not America. I had no idea that was going on. That was my real eureka moment. Is mm-hmm. that really going on? And then you start researching it on the Internet and you go, oh my God, how could I not have known this?
1: Right. You right. don't see them.
0: You don't see them. And unfortunately, many people blame them for their condition when they are blameless, totally right. blameless. I mean, I, I came across an article where it um, was a, a lot of quotes from... Uh, um, President Obama, and he was complaining to the, to the black men, you've got to step up and be a father, step up and be a father. Well, our fault that two-thirds of African-American children grow up without a father. It's completely our fault. It's not the fault of the people that we victimized 50 mm-hmm. years ago.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: we we, we just got to start. The more you more you learn the more angry you
1: become and the more determined you become to fix it Mm -hmm. but a lot of the anger you feel is really
0: directed at yourself how could I not have known that Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. going on all around me for my entire life how could I not have known it
1: right right well I really appreciate talking to you we're going to take a little break Roberta and we'll be right back Uh, This is Robin White-Turtle-Lisney. The show is Evolve, and I'm with Roberta Grimes, attorney and author of many, many books, and we're talking about The Fun of Living Together, a book about race in America. And we'll be right back.
3: Evolve, nurturing the new in consciousness, the arts, and culture, with your host, Robin White-Turtle-Lisney. Evolve brings you people and ideas on the cutting edge of change opening the shells of the past to move our culture into the now. We are all in great need of sustainable ideas for change. Evolve brings you the wise, the foolish, and the heart-based to help us meet the challenges of our times. Join us the third Thursday of the month at 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Evolve.
1: Hi, this is your host for Evolve, Robin White-Turtle-Lisney. And I wanted to share with you a few of the other things that I do in the world beside the radio show. In addition, I'm an energy medicine practitioner in the Bay Area and across the country by phone. And I work uh, through East-West Bookshop in Mountain View, California. So you can always find me there on Fridays. In addition, I have um, five books. Uh, four of them are nonfiction and one is a fiction book. Uh, that's actually based on facts, called Poems for the Lost Deer. The other books are Heart Path, Heart Path Handbook, and prior to that, Sacred Living and Dancing Up the Moon. Um, my recent, more recent books, Heart Path and Heart Path Handbook, uh, teach people self-love, and this is the foundation of my practice, that love does heal all things. You can find out more uh, about my work on my website, www.thecenterforthesoul.com, and uh, you can also check out the books on www.bluebonebooks.com. And now we'll go back to the show. So hi, welcome back. This is Robin White Turtle listening. The show is Evolve, and I'm with Roberta Grimes, who is an author, a lawyer, and uh, has had a number of interesting experiences in her current book, uh, The Fun of Living Together. She wrote with Kelly Glover. Uh, she is uh, an author of this book, and we're talking about race in America. So, uh, Roberta, I was we were talking about uh, Kelly's experiences that convinced you the need to bring people to, together in this country. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what your conversations were like with her around this racial issue that kind of woke you up, that helped you to understand and convince you the need for this in this country? Well,
0: it's a, the first thing was simply shock to know that Someone I loved, someone who was a really, like, friend of mine, was going through all of this, and I had not known it. I mean, um, her skin is quite dark, and she has had racist things happening to her all her life. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I'd never seen it, of course, but she never mentioned it. Mm-hmm. So that was I, was, I was outraged for my friend, and... Uh, when I expressed that, she said, hey, I'm one of the lucky ones. I mean, she's got a master's degree. Her father has a Ph.D. They're, they're very middle class. They're a higher status, actually, as a family than my family is. Mm-hmm. So, so she said, "Here's some other things you should know. And she started telling me what it's like for most African Americans to this day in this country. I didn't believe it till I did the research. It's actually even worse than I thought.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: that was what made me understand the fact that that most African Americans in this country, almost 400 years since the first ones were brought here in chains, 150 years after the Civil War theoretically freed them, most African Americans still live in bondage. It's economic bondage, but it's iron. It's made out of iron. Mm -hmm. And we perpetuate it with the things we do in this country. And Mm -hmm. that's got to end. So... That sort of is was my evolution in a nutshell. Now I'm yeah. a warrior,
1: yeah.
0: but I've got to be a warrior in, in Dr. King's mold. We all have to.
1: Yeah. Love has to be our weapon. There's no other weapon that works, right? And and don't you feel that that um, there's got to also be self-love that comes to this as well as the love of the culture? There have there has to be a meeting of these two things because. Because we can stay entrapped, any of us can stay entrapped in in master-slave mentality. But then if it's reinforced in the culture all the time, uh, you know, we have to resist that. And uh, that's why I I see um, that you're fairly confident that our racial problems can't get better on their own. They have to be cultivated together. We have to do this together. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because uh, cause well, I, I here's don't... The thing. When I say racism is, is alive and healthy in America today, I'm not talking metaphorically. No, right. I'm saying literally,
0: literally, there are chains on more than half of the people in this country who are descended from black chattel slavery. Mm-hmm. Literally, there are. Um, and the, those chains are forged by our government in its overwhelming foolishness by our public school system, which is infested with racism. Yes. And uh, but by our customs and by our ignorance. White people of goodwill are simply ignorant of what's what's being done to black people right now, as we speak.
1: we mm-hmm. are ignorant. Yeah.
0: Once we're no longer ignorant, this will no longer happen, because there are too many people care too much about the people who are being harmed and about the country to allow this to continue. It's just that we didn't know.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, ho- I totally agree. So then, how can you be confident that racism is not the reason for our racial problems? That seems to fly in the face of what you just said, but I'm, I'm looking at this well, question. Here's the, here's the question. What causes racism? I think ignorance, primarily. Uh, ignorance and then lack of experience of um, a lot of... I know a lot of white middle class people grow up without a lot of African Americans around them, unless they live in the inner city or unless they live in the cities and certain cities, you know, Oakland, Chicago, New York, um, Detroit, you know, certainly in Texas. um, but, But there are, I think a lot of it is ignorance. They don't see them in the same light as themselves somehow. Um, or they yes, see but them there's a reason that's a very teleequipped
0: point you made. They don't see them in the same light as themselves. Do you know why that is? There is a specific reason we teach racism to our children without realizing that's what we're doing.
1: Uh-huh. And how do we, um, how do we do that? We you share with the listeners how that happens. Like yeah, what is it?
0: the, we, we know now that during the first five between five and six years of a child's life, they're in download mode, they're learning. Who they are, who their family is, what reality is and what their tribe is. We are not racist by nature, but we're extremely tribal by nature. It must be a maybe it's a survival mechanism, I don't know. But we we by rearing black children and white children separately, which is what we do until we get to public school, we have just created another generation of racists. Every one of those skinheads and wherever they were in Charlottesville had been reared without being exposed at the age of three or four years old to friends of darker skin. Mm-hmm. We conducted an experiment with our kids without knowing we were gonna do it. When my kids were really tiny, we built our dream house and our the only close by neighbor was a, a very large black family. I, I, I don't it didn't matter to us. And and the kids played together. When my kids were two, three and four years old they played with little black children. Mm-hmm. Their first babysitters were were two beautiful young um black teenagers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my ch- my oldest child is 40 years old not only are my children not racist but nothing you can say to them can make them feel like there's anything other about black people because their tribe includes black people mm-hmm. we taught them that when their minds would not react negatively to the thought we didn't even know we were doing this yeah all we have to do if anybody is is sincerely wants to end racism all we have to do is integrate And make sure every child goes to an integrated preschool Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the game is over by the age of five we can't wait till then it's got to be done when they're three and four years old Mm -hmm. and they will not they won't fight that information and then when they're 20 30 40 50 you will never be able to make them racist because they know our our tribe is all colors
1: yeah right right exactly
0: and it's bad thing to do to white children, too. Obviously, it's terrible to do to black children because it's the source of the sense of inferiority that so many black people struggle with through life. They grow up knowing their tribe is black, which is great until so you get to school and you find out your tribe is very small mm-hmm. and not doing that well, and then you feel inferior. Mm-hmm. You can never do that again, not ever again to any child. And when white kids grow up and they never meet a black person uh, until they're in school, they never get to play with a black child. What they learn is that their tribe is only white people. And every everything that is done by somebody who is not white in their vicinity, they feel as a threat.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's
0: fear. The whole thing going on in Charlottesville is based in fear. Yes. And if we would just teach our children not to fear other Americans, we would never have this problem again.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um Okay, so what would an America look like without racial issues? Uh, how would you envision that? Um, it would look
0: <laughs> just normal. It would look normal. <laughs> I mean, it would, it would, it would basically. This is a process of subtraction. All the negatives that that go with with race mm-hmm. would be gone, mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm every school would be integrated normally. I mean, one of the little fun facts you find out when you do the research is that you know, 60 plus years ago, Brown versus Board of Education uh, was a very important Supreme Court case that decreed that it is unconstitutional for us to segregate our schools. And yet, in America in 2017, our schools are more segregated than they ever have been.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. And what we teach, and
0: this is what we're teaching, we're teaching much inferior uh, sort of level of education to black children. Mm-hmm. Many people don't understand that, but they go to segregated schools and they are being given, I hate to use it, but this is the easiest way to say it, they're being, being given a severely dumbed-down education.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the reason seems to be that the school
0: systems assume that the poor dear just couldn't do a, a, a more serious and rigorous education. Here's an example of something that we're doing we are doing to these people. And in uh, recently, there, were, there was a, a standardized test of the sort that's standardly given in this country in high schools. It was given to five primarily or exclusively African-American high schools in Baltimore. Every single one of those five high schools, there was not a single student who scored as proficient in math or in English. Not one scored that way. Mm-hmm. And in point of fact... Um, you had to get a four or a five, and most of these kids got a one on these tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the, 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 the educational bureaucracy is going to say, well, they didn't spend enough. They spent $16,000 per student, and that was fourth highest in the country. Wow. That's spending.
1: Yeah. And it
0: wasn't the fault of the high school teachers either, because they were prepared to teach students prepared for high school. What what happened was that the whole the whole nine years ahead of high school, all those students were going to predominantly or exclusively black schools and they were not being prepared to do high school work. That's what our school systems are doing. They're perpetuating this separate underclass right. by not preparing the kids well. That's mm-hmm. the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to stop and stop too. Today, yeah, because we are, we're throwing away up to 10% of our population. Mm-hmm. Think about the country. It's human human minds are capital. Mm-hmm. The reason America has been so successful is that we've allowed and encouraged people to seek their own dreams and those dreams have enriched the country. I mean, look at the big tech companies. Look at all of the, the, the great ideas people have had and they've brought them to fruition in America and enriched us all. Well. I'm going to flash for people who are not sure about this. In fact, there is no intellectual difference between black and white. All the tested intellectual difference comes from the fact that we treat African American kids so much in an inferior way to this day. Uh-huh. They're yeah. just as smart as the rest of us.
1: Yeah. It's
0: never been given a chance to show it. We throw—we're throwing away yet another generation of up to ten percent of our people. We're throwing them away.
1: Right. Right. We can't do
0: this to the country. If people wonder why America isn't doing so well, you know it's hard when you're spending, you know, trillions of dollars keeping black people down, which is what we're doing. Forty percent mm-hmm. at any given moment of our of our prison system, federal prison system, is is black men. Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. this is insane. Right. It's just. Well, I mean, if, if someone were devising a way to destroy this country, there wouldn't be a better way than the way we're we're handling this situation
1: right, right. I know that uh I used to be a community organizer and uh I uh, organized a uh uh Martin Luther King celebration in Boulder Creek, which was had a racial incident up there and did a number of other things to try to bring people together and uh, what was so clear was that there was institutionalized racism, not just in the schools, but also in the police force. And uh, I had to confront, you know, the sergeant at the police force saying, look, you guys are profiling really innocent people. You know, why did you stop so-and-so at this particular time? There was absolutely nothing wrong with her car. You know, you just thought she was a black male. And, uh, you know, what about this incident? What about that incident? And so I was at the forefront of doing a lot of that confrontation, and it was like um, trying to get a stone out of clay. You know, it was really difficult to keep fighting it because, and of course we have to keep fighting it, but there's there's a transformation that has to fundamentally happen. Um, uh, and eventually I got the sergeant to go to a leadership conference because they talked to his superiors and we were able to he he read black like me and he did you know we had to read all these uh books that of course i i read a lot long time ago in college and it was quite a an eye-opener uh, for him to understand what people are actually dealing with uh, african-american people in the valley so I understand exactly what you're talking about. And, and that's why I, I would imagine that emancipation isn't really ever fully happened here uh, in this country because people are still treated poorly. And and uh, if the skin is dark, they're treated worse. It's just a reality. Do you understand that this,
0: this is it, it's just instituted in our country? Is it's is it, is institutional, not because people are, are of bad will, or not because uh, of anything that those individuals did. It's because we have not solved this problem. We have ignored it. We've mm-hmm. let it go. Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, I didn't know. I, I, now, I'll never not know it, and I will spend the rest of my life fighting. But the government should have known. The government should have been been, been Policing itself about what what this what, what the war in poverty was doing to the country. Right. I mean, the war in poverty is the single worst thing, and I know there are a lot of contenders. The worst thing we've ever done in America was the war in poverty, and if, if they would have been able to see that within the first few years, if anyone had cared to look, mm-hmm. and to this day, I didn't know that was the problem, and most people don't. Mm-hmm. So what, what we're going to do is make sure everybody understands what the problem is. Mm-hmm. and then we do come together in love to solve that problem. Right. And everybody will come together because nobody wants what we have now. There's not a single person in this country who wants what we have now.
1: Mm-hmm. This is a disaster. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about the mental effects of slavery from 150 years ago because, on some level, what you're saying is that it still exists today. Um, it the, does exist yeah, today. Right, right, and that the slave mentality both in, in permeating the whole culture, the master-slave idea or ideal is, is, uh, is really part of the problem, part of the cancer and the uh, racial issues between people. Um, well, understand that the slavery that has existed since the Civil War,
0: I mean, after the 14th Amendment, nobody could own another human being. Mm-hmm. They, they, did, so they did get rid of the institution of slavery with individual owners. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 14th, century, there were three men that actually passed at that time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, what happened in the South was that they instituted slavery as a separate class, and it, most of the institutions, almost all the institutions of slavery, were carried over and applied to that class, and that went on for a hundred years. It was essentially slavery without papers. We call it Jim Crow, but that to me is racially insulting, and it's not accurate. It really was slavery in every respect, right. except one or two. One was they could leave. You want to leave there, don't let the screen door hit you when you go. Right. But unfortunately, it took generations before very many of them went. And even at the end of that period, even to this day, most of the descendants of slavery in the country lived in the former
1: Confederacy.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but...
1: Sorry, what your what, we were ta- we're talking about the mental effects of slavery from 150 years ago um, and how they how it still exists today and uh, that that the rebranding of the descendants of slavery is really important like how do we how do we rethink all of that because it's it's a fact in our culture we can't change the past but going no, Past. Yeah, and we have ruined
0: millions and millions of lives out of pure sheer ignorance. Right, but
1: um, huh. how do we I, I, go how forward?
0: it? the first yeah. thing we do is we understand what caused the problem. Yeah. The, the the problem that, that um, Thomas Jefferson, by the way, would have solved this without if his wife hadn't died. The problem he faced and the problem Dr. King faced is basically a simple problem. How do you make one society out of two groups of of people who look different from one another? That's an easy problem to solve. We have a much more difficult problem to solve now because we've got to deal with the effects of the past 50 years. In order to do that, we have to rear a generation of African-American children as they should have been reared 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. or 50 years ago. We have to rear them so they will not be subject to slavery in mind.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: that the, they will not be seen as inferior because the real damaging thing that the, that the war on poverty did was to create a label of inferiority and put it on African Americans. Right. That label didn't exist. Fifty years ago, believe it or not, it did not exist. It, we, we didn't know one another, but we could come together more or less as equals at that point. Now, most African Americans are considered to be, and sadly are, inferior because their education has been so terrible, and because they everything about the way they've been treated has been so bad. That mm-hmm. I mean, you look at a young African American. You know a few things, right? You know, number one, he almost certainly grew up without a father. Most of them do. Mm-hmm. Especially in the, in the slavery class, virtually all of them grow up without a father. Number two, he had a horrible education. That's true of all who did not go to school in a mixed mixed race school, and most of them don't go to a mixed race school. Horrible education. More than half of them who go to school in cities drop out before they even graduate. Um, we, we know that he um, grew up poor. All of these things are strikes against this, this young man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, there's, and so he's already thrown away before he's even a grown-up, because he can't overcome all of that by himself.
1: Right.
0: We're going to have to cut, help him overcome that. There are a variety of ways to do it, but the, well, we have to have the resolve to do it. Right. Um, it has to, the first, first thing is, is education. We've got to teach people why we have this problem, because they're starting to think some things that are not true just maybe there is a difference between races, after all. There's no difference whatsoever between races.
1: Of course not.
0: Maybe a little black kids are not as smart. No, they are just as smart and maybe smarter. Remember, I, whenever people have said that to me, I said, remember when we started to allow them to compete athletically with us? Who's your favorite athlete now? Right. There was a time when it was believed that they would not be athletic either, and that was in the latter part of the, of the 19th century. People were sure that they were going to be weaker athletically, too.
1: Right.
0: Right. They run rings around white
1: people. the right.
0: same thing is going to happen when we allow them to educate, be educated as well as white kids are educated. Mm-hmm. Run rings around us. Can't wait to see it.
1: <laughs> We're going to stop right there and come back um, with Roberta Grimes, who's the author of The Fun of Living Together that she wrote with Kelly Glover. And it's a book about race in America. And we'll be right back.
3: Evolve. Nurturing the new in consciousness, the arts, and culture with your host, Robin White turtle Lizney, Evolve brings you people and ideas on the cutting edge of change, opening the shells of the past to move our culture into the now. We are all in great need of sustainable ideas for change. Evolve brings you the wise, the foolish, and the heart-based to help us meet the challenges of our times. Join us the third Thursday of the month at 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Evolve.
1: Hi, welcome back. This is Robin, White Turtle listening. The show is Evolve, and I'm with Roberta Grimes, the author of The Fun of Living Together, as well as a number of other books. Uh, she is an attorney and also works uh, uh, talking about her books and has a radio show and a blog and all kinds of things, and we're talking about race in America and what, how we can improve it. What can we do now that will help the descendants of slavery and also the the our descendants of of enslavement um, that can help us all uh, heal this big rift in our culture. So we were talking before the break, Roberta, about um, uh, the the changes that need to happen, and you know, certainly one is education. Uh, another is to recognize there are no differences, um, and that we also there were a lot of changes that things that did change for for African Americans over time let's go over a few of those like the second world war was a big shift for a lot of blacks in the u.s Um, what how did that affect uh, racism and race in our culture
0: well the as as we know they um, things were still very much segregated um, in, in, in the 1940s but many african americans volunteered and um, many of them fought very honorably. They weren't they usually weren't allowed to like go out and carry a gun, but so they were in the back. And whatever they were allowed to do, they were so heroic at it that um, many uh, white young white fighters began to rely on them. For example, a mm-hmm. little fact about the Tuskegee Airmen, they finally allowed people to train African American men to train as pilots. And the Tuskegee Airmen who were what they were called, were so good. Some of the people who were flying the bombing flights over over um, Germany would not, uh, unless they could be escorted by just Tuskegee Airman, they wouldn't do it. It was too risky. That's how good these these young men in their in their segregated airplanes were. Uh-huh. And and it seems to have broken a lot of um, of barriers between black and white because they started to work together and rely on one another. Mm-hmm. And and it, it's really it, it, it's started the process. I think without that kind of breaking down of the barriers, it would have been a lot harder to break them down to the extent that Dr. King did so quickly because people were ready. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing so powerful as an idea was trying to come, and this idea really had been
1: accelerated by the Second World War. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you also, in the book, talk about President Johnson's Great Society that changed things for black blacks in the U.S., we talked a little bit about the problems of that, and how welfare was set up uh, to support women and children and not uh, men, <laughs> not a unified family. Um, no. Yeah, right. so can you talk a little bit about Johnson's Great Society and how that changed things for blacks in the U.S.?
0: Well, here's the thing. I don't know what to say about President Johnson. But but I'll tell you what what little I know about it. He grew up in the very segregated South at a time when there were still living people who could talk about the Civil War, and he grew up on that.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I I moved to the the South. By the way, I love living in the South, but I moved to the South um, many, many years later. I have, to this day, heard the Civil War referred to as the War of Northern Aggression. Now, they say it a little bit sort of, tongue in cheek and frankly, um, my friend Kelly tells me that race relations are much better in the the South than in the North. She wouldn't even be willing to live in the North. That's how she said it to me. Mm. I mean, basically the South has resolved it all long since, but um, here we had a president who grew up steeped in the outrage of the the Civil War. I mean, this was brother against brother, and it was very personal. Mm. And they didn't just Try to free the slaves. They tried to destroy the South. It was brutal. And there was a lot of resentment. I think a lot of what was done between you and me during Jim Crow to black people was displaced anger at the North, at the Northern whites and what they had done to the South. Oh. So here we have a president who grew up in this. And there are some quotations. I, I give you some in, in my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a bunch of quotations from from president johnson that make your hair stand on end mm. I mean, brutal he went one of his um chauffeurs asked please if we, he would call him by his name and uh, johnson said nobody as long as as long as you're black and you're going to be black till the day you die nobody's going to call you by your goddamn name so just you know pretend you're a piece of furniture and you'll get all get along okay he mm. said that
1: to another human being mm. There's
0: other stuff too. I mean, I have come. I came across some quotes that were so bad, I didn't even put them in the book. Where he's telling people, "What we're going to do with the war on poverty is we're going to we're going to own the n words for two hundred years," is what he said to the people in his party. Hmm. So I can't talk about his motive. Yeah, I can't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All I can say is, if I only knew what I've read from the man, I would think he did this deliberately.
1: mm mm-hmm. 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 I mean, he
0: had to. I'm sure his, 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 he was grinding his teeth as he did it. He had to sign Civil Rights Act of 1964. He knew that that was, you know, the game was being called by the North again mm-hmm. after the Civil War. And um, I don't think it's a coincidence that in 1965 they started kicking the black men out of their families. It's not a coincidence to me. But again, who am I? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter now, does it? What matters is we've allowed it to continue for 50 years and it has caused such harm to the black community and that harm is infecting us now. I mean, why do we have a war on drugs now? Why do we have such a high rate of 25% of, of, of white children now are born out of wedlock? Mm-hmm. Before the war on poverty, um, it, that was, what, 5% or fewer? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we, we know now... Because the war on poverty was a horrendous experiment we had no right to conduct. We know now that if you rear boys without fathers, they cannot grow up to be men. Mm-hmm. We know that now. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Girls need fathers, too. But for boys, there's just no question. They've got to have a good man in their lives.
1: I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So,
0: so you know, this is, it's like creepy on every level. All yeah. of this. It's just you... If you,
1: you do more research and then you can go wash your hands and do something else for a while, look at puppies. I mean, it's not possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I couldn't agree more that you know when I was in social service, there was a uh, uh, an understanding in so not just in social service, but in the government because the government actually funded my job through the sheriff's office that if we had social service programs that would help connect in uh, both in racial ways and through the drug, um, you know, through drug, alcohol education, drug and alcohol education to kids, that if we have that in place, that there is a much big, a bigger reduction in people going to jail. And that the minute uh, that George Bush came into office, all of those programs were dissolved. And of course, what happened is the prison rate spikes. And so the, two years later, the prison rate went up, and it was predictable. And so the, the whole way that the government deals with social programs is, is terribly flawed because they know research-based uh, information tells you that if you help people understand the impact of drugs and alcohol and you under, help them understand the impact of racial violence on, on individuals, that there's gonna be less of it in the culture. They know how to solve a lot of these problems. But so here's the problem. If you if you
0: uh, uh, help people, yes, you have of course have to help people who are who are in a situation. But unless we solve what's causing the situation all we're doing is putting band aids on.
1: Exactly. We're
0: people's lives every day. Right. And it's not a party thing. It's
1: not George no. Bush in
0: particular. I would say I'd say a park on both their houses.
1: Exactly. But I think it's exactly. important
0: to remember Hardest against the Civil Rights Act, so no, both
1: parties are It's not just one. No, right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like I feel that uh, that there's a, a grave misunderstanding of what's needed and what's necessary. Not only by the government, but um, you know, people on the ground see what's going on and they try to affect change and try to create programs, and then they're slashed by the whoever comes in the office the next, you know. So it, cre- it creates unstabil- instability, and, and people never know what they're going to actually have available to them or not available to them. And so there's, there's and huge the flaws problem. in the, yeah. Here's mm-hmm. The real problem is
0: what we've learned from war and poverty is many things. And, and the key thing to me that we've learned is social problems are always going to destroy whatever it is they're supposed to help, always fact that the War on Poverty was a gigantic government program that was just someone wound it up and it goes to this day despite all the horror it has created that shows we, we just can't have programs like that. Mm-hmm. Instead we've got to try to sensitively understand why people are having a problem and come up way, with ways to empower them mm-hmm. they can run their own lives. It supposed to be at the core of our society and we're, we're acting as if it's the opposite
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you I mean, th- everything, think about this? Every single thing we've ever done in this
0: country meant to help African Americans has been dehumanizing and disempowering. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember all the those big, gigantic, take, take down the slums and put up these housing projects. Everything we've ever done is not that for them.
2: Right. It's been to sort
0: of make ourselves feel good about the fact that we're treating them so
1: badly. Yeah. It's awful. Right. Right. So how does bigotry let's let's talk a little bit about bigotry because that is really a huge issue you say that someone who is a bigot a bigot is uh someone who's formed an opinion based on incomplete information um, how do you think it's best to deal with bigotry when you meet someone that's completely against another race of any kind whether it's african-americans how, or how is dr king dr
0: model at this point. How would Dr. King have done it? He certainly would not have attacked the bigot.
1: He
0: knew that the one way to ensure you're creating another racist is to argue with them. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. Instead, if you can get the person to listen to you and if you can make the person feel good about him or herself, you can begin to open people's minds a little bit. It's work. People don't like to do work. But to me, right up there with the N-word, there's another word that's going to be forbidden in this country. Mm -hmm. beyond the pale if you use it you're shamed do you know what that word is
1: no racist Mm -hmm. because when you
0: call someone a racist you have created a racist for life and it's your fault Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: these people are just ignorant and the ignorance starts as i said when they're barely walking
1: yeah if we
0: don't expose them to the fact that their tribe is the american tribe and their tribe includes all races if we don't make sure our kids get that we are very much hampering your future lives, and we're creating another generation of people who are going to be
1: racist. Right, right, right. Well, why are you confident that American uh, slavery and even the most of its worst effects can be ended in one generation? What, what? It, it won't even take that
0: long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm,
1: I'm giving myself a little more time. Yeah. So
0: it, 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 it's easy to do. Because first, start creating new races them in preschool. If next year, there is a movement across the country to make sure that all little children get to play with children of all races, and it's easy. People in every city and in every town can form a meetup group of young parents of all races, and then they can just bring the kids together once a month to play. That's yeah. all you have to do.
1: Yeah. And every, every
0: person of goodwill in the United States wants to end this. Mm-hmm. So if the ones who form those meetups. It doesn't even matter if, it, if they go to a different preschool from these children. If they get to play together and look forward to playing together and they have a little friend named Mikey and another little friend named Trayvon, everybody is going to be, they won't even occur to the kids to think there's a difference.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: If they'll be part of the American tribe. Mm-hmm. That's one thing we can do. Another thing that we can do is to. Re- going to have to do this. We're going to have to start giving extraordinary education to at least one full generation of African American children.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: To rebrand them, because right now, when you look at an African American child, you know he or she is not doing as well, obviously, because they're not getting a good education. Mm -hmm. I think that we're going to have to do a complete overhaul of our public education system, because that's perpetuating racism more than anything else is in this country. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's called the soft bigotry of low expectations. It's not soft, and it is racism straight
1: up. Right, and it's ruining people's lives. Right, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and I think it's 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 also ru- ruining people in poverty, no matter what color they are. They're they're getting poor, edu- right. poor education. Totally. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's such a wonderful point. Please let's make it more strongly.
0: The kids who most need an outstanding education are the kids who are living in poverty, because that's the only way they're ever going to get out of poverty.
1: That's right. It doesn't that's matter right. their
0: skin color.
1: You're right. Yeah, yep. Well, it's been a fabulous conversation about this challenge that we have in America, <laughs> and you've got this book, Roberta, called The Fun of Living Together with Kelly Glover, uh, and the the work is really important, I think, for for both sides of the conversation, but You know, as we develop uh, the healing piece of in America of exposure and connection, um, I think that uh, that is one way that we can really help to heal the racial issues in America. And and it can take a generation, or it could take a lot less time than that. (laughs) So, it's going to take
0: less time if we all decide that this will
1: not stand. Right. uh,
0: I think most people are going to feel this will not stand once they understand what's really going on. This has happened when when Dr. King uh, helped. We we first saw it on TV. We saw the the dogs and the police hoses and the people getting beaten up in their Sunday baths. That's how people in America, in the North, learned what was happening in the South. And we said it would not stand. Within a year after he wrote that awful, sad letter, letter from Birmingham jail. Within a year we had the Civil Rights Act of 1960. That
1: could happen now. We can do that again. Right, right. I totally agree. So I've been speaking with Roberta Grimes, who is a business attorney and has had much uh, uh, experience in this area of uh, living in harmony <laughs> through all of her uh, um, education and um, also through this book that she's written called The Fun of Living Together, which deals with race in America. Uh, she is the host of Seek Reality Radio program and has hundreds of thousands of listeners on her WebTalkRadio.net program. Uh, Roberta, it's been a delight talking to you. I appreciate it so much, and I look thank forward you. to talking to you about other books at uh, in the future. So thank you. That's wonderful. I look forward to it too. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. This is Robin White-Turtle-Lisney, and the show is Evolve.
3: Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Caracella. Please join us next time for Evolve with Robin White-Turtle-Lisney, Thursday afternoon at 2 Uh p.m.
2: to marionettes playing out different realities within this is sin the separation of self from you the lessons learned right here in this capitalistic zoo all of your ugly is dying to show your prettier thing or two all of your history is patiently waiting to be spit anew and forget your crew bask in the gift of just you see universe birthed me just like this like every organism on the earth, called in new angels, organize my ancestors for my birth. Juxtapose marionettes playing out different realities within. I am no longer sin, bringing all of me without apology everywhere I go. Go, go, go yo, yo, yo. This moment is beautiful. Me and my